Well, hey, I want to go ahead and jump into it today. We're going to uh, we're just going to start with this uh, the scripture out of uh, the book of Philippians, uh, Paul's letter to the church of Philippi, and it's in chapter two. So if you got Bibles, open them up. If you got the U version app, you can open that up uh, as well. And if you have none of those things, I think you can follow along with us on the screen. Okay. So it says this, it says, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You guys pray with me. God, thank you for your word. God, I pray that through your word we are transformed and changed more into the image that we are called to be. In your name I pray. Amen. 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 I don't know if you guys have, uh, for those of you who have teenagers or for those of you who have ever worked um, in youth ministry at, at, at any point, you know that when it comes to packing for camp, girls and boys pack very differently. <laughs> girls, I don't know. I think there's a memo for most of the girls that if, to prepare to pack for camp, you have to also prepare for like a zombie apocalypse. Like it's like they have every, they have their whole life ready to go in a bag. I'm, and like we always have like this discussion too with like, hey, you, you can only bring one bag. You can't, you know, you can't bring you can't bring any any more than that. And they're like, okay, loud and clear. I'm going to figure out how to pack everything into this bag. And then you have the boys who come like swinging a, like a Walmart bag with like one change of clothes and like, got it. We're good. Ready to go. I got a toothbrush and one shirt and some swim trunks. I had, uh, in my camp experience one time when I was in high school, I had this guy that like, our youth pastor was always very willing to let just anyone come. If you could pay, if you could make your way there, you, you, can, you can do it. So he just jumped on the bus, and he had nothing, nothing. And we were like, bro, what are you going to wear? And one of our friends let him borrow a pair of swim trunks, and that was all he wore the whole week of camp. And he was, we were like, that's so gross. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm going to be jumping into the pool, and the chlorine is going to essentially wash my clothes every single day. And that's, and that's, Right there is like the image of guys at camp. That's it. But I am like so, I'm always so envious of uh, my wife, Kira, always like packs for us because she's so, she's so spatially aware. Like even like in the car and stuff, like she like move. if like if we're with my family, she always like moves the guys out of the way. She's like, I've got this. And she just goes in there like a puzzle piece and knows how to like pack everything into the car, everything into our suitcase and she's just, she, ha, she knows how everything fits together. In this verse in Philippians, what I think, uh, what I believe Paul is trying to do is trying to understand how Jesus and God all kind of fit together into this one, into this one person. There's this, uh, there's this term called incarnation, not carnation milk, incarnation. And what it is, what it means, it's, it's, a, it's a broad term just meaning when the divine takes on human form. When the divine takes on human form, that's what incarnation means. And Paul would be very well-versed in, like, Greek, Greek uh, literature. And so there's a, there's a lot of, you know, Greek literature of, like, the Greek gods coming down into human form and being incarnate, human incarnate. Well, what Jesus, what Jesus was, Jesus is, 
is the image of God, the full image of God in human form. And there's a lot of discussion with trying to understand, okay, well, what does that mean? What does it mean? Clearly, clearly there are parts of the divine nature of God that have to be hidden. So like, how do we, how are we packing this human suitcase here? How are we fitting God into the human, the human form? And Paul, he said this, he says he emptied himself. God, Jesus emptied himself. It's this Greek word called kenosis. Kenosis, and what kenosis is, it, it's literally word for word translation. It's to empty, to make void, to make, to make space. So Paul's understanding of the incarnation of Jesus, how God fits into Jesus, is that there are some, there's something inside of Jesus that he removes in order to make space for God. Now, before you start thinking that I'm saying that Jesus is, is less than God, I need, you, I need you to understand this. It is, very, it is vitally important for you to understand that Jesus is both fully human and fully divine. Because Jesus has to be fully human to experience death, but then he has to be fully divine to overcome that death. See what I'm saying? It's this paradox. It's, work, it's this thing that's working together. So that's the, that now the, the redemption of the world through Christ's death and resurrection, that's part of the why of why God and Jesus, why Jesus, why they did what they did here, right, essentially. But there's another side to this. So one part is the redemption, the Christ's death and resurrection. The other side to why, the why of incarnation is this. In John, in John 1, remember he talks, he's, he's starting off the book, this gospel, with like referring to Jesus as the word. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have seen his glory. So part of Jesus's, part of the incarnation is to reveal who God is. It's a revealing of the Father. Yes, it's submitting to, it's performing the will of the Father, but it's also showing us who the Father is. There is, uh, there's this, uh, this uh, theologian, his name's Bra- uh, Bradley Jerzyk. He's trying to help in trying to help us understand what kenosis is. So the why of incarnation is the, it's to perform the will of the Father and to show who God is. The how is through kenosis. How Jesus does that is through the emptying. The emptying. Jerzyk says this. He says, kenosis is not a surrender of the divine attributes. Kenosis defined as self-giving or self-donation is the premier expression of God's nature, of God's love and grace seen most clearly on the cross. So what he's saying is kenosis, he had to make room for God. In order for him to show us who the Father is, he had to make room inside of the human side in order for God's glory to be fully, to be, be fully shown. Remember, remember what he said here, what uh, uh, Paul says. He said he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. So through this humbleness, stay with me, through the humbling... So he did, before there's death, before that there's Jesus on the cross, there's Jesus fully humble, fully submitted to the will of God. So there is something in the human side where he says, this can't, in order for me to submit to the will of God, in order for God's glory to be shown through me, there is a part of this human side that has to be, has to be removed. It can't be there. 
And I think one of the answers to that is actually like at the beginning of the Beatitudes in the book of Matthew. Remember where it says, blessed are the poor in spirit? I think that's the, that's the idea here. It, or the rough, a rough translation of that is, blessed are those who aren't full of themselves. Is essentially what blessed are the poor in spirit are. Really. It's a, it's a, one person, Jerzyk uh, even explained it this way. He said, emptied of egotism, void of willfulness, bankrupt of selfishness. So this, this human... This human action of self-interest and worrying about ourselves and only focus on ourselves, the ego, that had to be removed in order for the Father to be shown fully through Him. You know, uh, how many of you guys are really interested? Like, you like like true crime? Like, you watch all the documentaries on like all the serial killers and stuff like that? Yes. No, admit it. It's okay. It's okay, psychos. It's all right. You can admit it. It's fine. Let me tell you what, my, what I'm interested in. That's white-collar crime. I know before, look, I'm not stealing money from the church, guys. I'm not, <laughs> don't, don't, I'm, not, I'm not admitting to embezzlement up here. But what I am saying is like I, I think white-collar crime is so fascinating because it has such a massive impact, and it is done by, it's done super cleanly and super under the rug, and it is done by some of the, most, the smartest men and women in the world do these horrible crimes. You think of like Bernie Madoff. Madoff, uh, his, uh, his Ponzi scheme, like they, $65 billion. $65 billion. Enron, you remember Enron? Yeah, $31.8 billion. I remember I read that book, The Smartest Guys in the Room. And Enron, it was, they were literally run by like Harvard MBA grad. I mean, they, brilliant minds. Yet, they were so consumed with their own self-interest that they were willing to take money from people, to steal from others. We're talking about people's like, entire like, life savings gone. Like the impact of like, their crime, yeah, like murder is wrong, right? And like murder, it, it affects a lot of people around uh, in that, in that you know, the person's family and you know, whatever. These people affected thousands thousands of people, all because of an ego that was loosed, all because of their own self-will that was not tamed. Now, they probably would be like diagnosed with like narcissistic personality disorder or something like that. A lot of those guys, a lot of, those, uh, a lot of them are. But that's an extreme example of what you and I deal with every single day. You and I have an ego. You and I have a self-will. I think that's the thing that Paul kept saying, you have to die on the, you have to get on your cross every single day. There's something that has to die inside of you. But the brilliance of Christ, the absolute brilliance of Christ was how he showed us what it means to be fully human. What does it mean to actually be human? See, in Luke, uh, in Luke uh, 22, there's, it's, Jesus is in, the, is in the garden. He's praying. And there's this moment. There's this moment where his, the human will is pushing back against the divine plan. It says, he says this. He says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. God, I don't want to do this. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what you've ha- you're asking me to do. And what I'm telling you is, I don't want to do this. And, but then... He overcomes it. And he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
It's not, it's not just the will of God Jesus is doing. Remember this. He's not just, he's not just performing uh, God's will. He's displaying the true nature of God. So here we have Jesus. Let's take a step back. Here we have Jesus battling against the human will and then emptying himself and accepting the divine, accepting more of God. But if Jesus, if, if Jesus is showing us the true nature of God, then does that mean that God empties himself? Does that mean God opens himself up? Let's look at this. I want to I I I show you all something. I want to talk about this side of God, the opening up of God. And there's this, uh, there's this character in the Bible that I think his story is so, is so perfect for this. And if, you, if you've ever read the, the account of Jesus uh, being, uh, dying on the cross, you know there's this one character he's mentioned in a, in a paragraph. And if you, just, if you blink, you miss him. He's this guy named Joseph of Arimathea. Long story short, Joseph of Arimathea is the one that took Christ off the cross and then went and, and buried him. That's who he is. But I want to, I, let's read his account real quick because there's so much, there's so much jam-packed into this one moment with Joseph that it's, it's important for us to see this. It says, it's in Mark 15, and it says, uh, and this is right after Jesus is dead, has died on the cross. It says, and when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath. Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was, he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph, and Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, laid him in the tomb that has been cut out of the rock, and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jesus saw where he was laid. So, here's Joseph. It says he's a member of the council. What council? It's the Sanhedrin. So Joseph is this religious and judicial leader in Jerusalem. The prevailing party, if you will, in the Sanhedrin were the Pharisees. And if you've ever paid attention to any story with Jesus, Pharisees and Jesus don't really get along. Uh, Pharisees hate Jesus. Hate Jesus. They, they were, they're, they're essentially complicit in Christ's own death. And Joseph is part of their group, part, or at least part of a group that they're a part of. And the Sanhedrin's like a highly, it's a high, it's a high honor in society. It is. And so he's part, so keep that in mind. And then also understand the whole setting of Jesus' death. He died on a Friday, the day before Sabbath. Here's the, here's the deal with dying on, before the Sabbath. You got to be, in the Jewish law, you got to be buried that day. Or else nothing can happen. Because sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night, that's the Sabbath. And no one can work or travel on the Sabbath. And I'm not talking about taking a quick trip to Orlando. I'm talking about taking a trip to the Publix. There's nothing. Can't do anything. Then also keep in mind the Deuteronomy law about uh, having a, a dead body exposed for someone that's hanging on a tree. So in Deuteronomy, it says, uh, and if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance. Joseph knew, Joseph knew the Mosaic law. So he knew that he can't bury Jesus on a Saturday. He can't wait to bury Jesus on a Saturday. And he can't let his body hang overnight. 
Otherwise, the land would be defiled. And it wouldn't just be defiled on a Saturday. It would be defiled during Passover. So you have this pious Jewish religious leader that is in a hurry. Here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. If he doesn't go to Pilate and he doesn't request his body, what happens is Jesus hang, is, is, is left overnight. The, the, the Roman guards would be taking his body down and his body would, be, would go and be put into essentially a mass grave for executed felons. So no one would have confirmed Jesus' death. What is the Jew going to do? Is the Jew going to believe the Romans, that they're oppressors? No. So there is no, look, there is no resurrection without death. There's just not. And so Joseph, it's because of Joseph's just hustling and getting the body. And then also keep this in mind. Look, there's another side to this. He's now admitting to be a follower of Jesus. He works with the Pharisees, the people who hate Jesus. And now, by going and getting his body, which is something a family member would do or a, a disciple would do, the disciples, they'd left. They're gone. They thought they were about to die themselves. They're gone. His, his mom and uh, Mary Magdalene, they can't, they can't request the body. So it's up to Joseph. And so whether or not he had conflicting opinions on Jesus or not, he was admitting in that moment to being a follower of Christ putting his livelihood and his family in danger. So do you understand that you and I being here, the whole reason we even understand, we even have ever heard of Jesus, the whole reason why this, this story of Christ's redemptive action was done, was done through this obedient Jew willing to risk it all in order to be obedient towards God. Remember, what, remember, remember, the emptying of Christ was the humbleness of Christ. The, empty, the emptying of Joseph of Arimathea was being humble enough to risk it all and lose it all for a God that he loved and he served. But remember, we're talking about God opening himself up. It wasn't Jesus who buried himself. It wasn't God who buried Jesus. God's redemptive plan of bringing you and me back into the kingdom of God was put into the hands of Joseph. God is not trying to control and overpower you. He's trying to invite you into the story. That's the point. That's, that's the point here. That's the point is guys, God's trying to bring you back into the fold. And when God does, how that happens, it's an opening up. It's when Christ, if Christ opens up for God and God opens up for us, then what in the world do you think is going to happen when you open yourself up for God? When you remove your own ego, when you remove your own self-interest and your selfishness and your own self-focus and let my will be done. <laughs> Look, here's the thing, man. That, in that space that you give up, it's in that space that the kingdom of God reigns. It's in that space that we even make for others. Remember, for, we have Joseph over here talking about obedience and God, Christ being obedient towards God. Here's what you have to do. You have to love God and love others. And when you love others, you're loving God. And so when you open yourself up to others, that's also where the kingdom of God reigns. Look, there's, there's no spare bedroom in the kingdom of God for our egos. There's just not. There's just not. And the kingdom of God, that's where we live. Look, there's a symbiotic like, relationship. 
I want you to just, let's take this moment, uh, this, just a few minutes ago. Worship. Where you gave up your Sunday morning to come in here and to worship God. You opened up yourself. You gave up something today. And so you're pouring your love towards God. And then God, who's constantly open towards us, is pouring his love right back. Giving love, receiving love. Giving love, receiving love. Giving love, receiving love. That is being incarnate with the love of Christ. That's when God, the Holy Spirit, is living and pouring outside of you. So today, that's, my, that's the invitation. That's the invitation today. What is it about yourself, that which needs to die, in order for God to live and act and perform his will through you? You know, we live in this weird, God, this is, what a strange time we're living in right now. It's a tough time. People have, it's a, it's a tense time. Um, you know, I feel like Pastor Phil did a really good job last week on, on speaking to that. And, um, but one of the things that is always at the root of our sin and the root of any troubles is this, is self-interest. It's when we're looking to ourselves. God, good Lord, go on Facebook. You can see that. See people all, only caring about their own opinion and, and trying to force their own opinion on other people. That's just not how, that's just not how, that's not, number one, that's not even how God works. That's not how, that's not how he, he, he breathes like transformation inside of you. No, you transform through repentance and repentance happens when you understand that you have a loving God willing to receive you back into the fold constantly, constantly. When I say it's a symbiotic relationship, it's a thing going back and forth, back and forth. That moment that happened for Jesus didn't happen when he was a baby at the very beginning. Just like your, the, the giving up of the will doesn't happen only one time when you get saved. No, it's a daily thing where you are opening yourself up and you're saying, God, I don't want to do this today, but it's your will. Your will be done. Your will be done. Remove me, less of me, more of you. Less of me, more of you. And that God that was humble enough and willing to come here and die for us, constantly opens himself up and says, this doesn't stop. This doesn't stop. This, this love won't end. This love doesn't cease. There is always a place for you at the table of God. Amen? Amen. Well, as Pastor Tommy is uh, making his way up here, look, I just want to pray over you guys today, okay? Let me just pray for you guys for just a second. God, thank you so much for the people of Genu. Thank you for their lives. Thank you for what you're doing in this group, in this building, moving and healing only in the ways that only your love can. We magnify you. We lift you up. And we say, God, we're going to make space for you because you're the one that made space for us first. You're the one that loved first. God, today we say it's not our will, but yours be done. In your name I pray. Amen. I love you, Jin Yu. Thank you, guys. Would you all say thank you?